0: Hello and welcome to our fourth in the series in the World Sustainability Collective Purpose Planet podcast series. Our website is at www.worldsustainabilitycollective.com and you can also find us on Twitter at capital WSC under slash worldwide, also on Facebook at World Sustainability Collective And on LinkedIn at forward slash companies forward slash world dash sustainability dash collective forward slash. Today we have one of our members, Gary Adlin, along to talk to us. Gary is founder and director of Carbon Happy World. And you can find details on their website at www.carbonhappy.world. Welcome, Gary. Hi, Bill. Gary, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about why and when you founded your company and who else is involved in the company and what are their roles? So,
1: Bill, that goes back uh, nearly 30 years. So I'm sure you don't want the whole uh, story going back 30 years, but my uh, most of my career has been involved in the environmental sector and I've always had an interest in it, even though I've diverted into other uh, sectors hospitality sports inward investment uh, training but at my heart it's it's environment and during the lockdown I was uh, I found myself at a bit of a loose end because uh, my business in uh, the Middle East wasn't happening on the training for obvious reasons so I I, I just reverted back to reading about um, sustainability the cl- climate change issues uh, who's doing what? Because it's a, a you know core interest of mine, and I begin to see that there was a lot of fluff and nonsense out there, where you know the word greenwashing is coming out a lot, and I began to ask myself, well, could I do something that could help and change people's perceptions, business perceptions on um, how they view the environment? And the the one thing that struck me in all of these uh, consultancy uh, companies that I read. They were, they, they were announcing with great uh, aplomb that uh, X company was carbon neutral and X company achieved this accreditation and I began to ask myself well how do they do that and, and, and how do they measure that? So I, went, I spent the time in lockdown developing um, a couple of trackers which we'll talk about later which were uh, trying to measure what the footprint of a company was but also what the messages were that people were getting. Because one of the things I found was that people who sort of jumped on the sort of climate change bandwagon and tried to make a quick book were basically reading uh, a couple of um, uh, websites and claiming to be experts. And that annoyed me a bit, but it it got me invigorated enough to set up the company. And uh, so we set that up in 2021 uh, with uh, Russ Grocott, who's uh, an educationalist. And uh, uh, Jolly Dut- Dr. Jali Dutton, who's a um, whose background is human resources and uh, human development in terms of uh, the uh, developing countries, and, uh, and we went about sort of setting this up and structuring it so that we had uh, pillars of uh, expertise and uh, knowledge, and then we've taken on Martin Thornton, who's our marketing guy. And we've got uh, Karan Ravi Shankar in India, who's our business development guy out there, because India's a key market in the, the push for climate change because it's such a big country and it's so carbon heavy at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's sort of where we got to and we've uh, and we've been operating uh, since uh, May this year.
0: Excellent. And how would you describe your business model, uh, Gary? What What is it that... Um that sort of allows you to connect with your clients and for you to obviously to make some money, but for them as well to, to gain value. How does, how does that model work? Well, it's about not making any
1: assumptions of, of the client. It's about listening to what they want. It's about how much do they understand about the challenges that the company faces. And if you take that approach of not being preachy or, uh, or dictatorial. It's more about you know a collaborative approach, and it's about them understanding what their business is, what impact their business has on the climate, what the challenges they're facing, and how how can our, our our products and services help them to achieve their goals. A lot of the clients know. Excuse me. A lot of the clients know that they need to reduce the carbon footprint, but they don't know how, and they don't know what it means. And they don't know what the impact's going to be in terms of their business or their community or their employees. So the business model set up on uh, four pillars. One is uh, the carbon tracker, one is the carbon steps, which is a, 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 a B2C model. And it's about encouraging uh, behavioral change uh, within uh, an individual's lifestyle. Uh, and that's through measurement, but in a fun way. And by no means tell them what they should and shouldn't do, it's about their own understanding of what's needed. Similarly for business, I suppose. And then we have the learning, consultancy learning, which is about sustainability leadership and how how is how does a company change the values of its day-to-day operations, its behaviours, to incorporate environmentally responsible activity. And that it, you know, I find that rewarding. I find that probably the most rewarding in the sense that. That the, the conversations I have with with our with our partners who are you know chat we challenge them sure we do but we don't uh, we don't give them the answers they have to find out for themselves and then the fourth is the absorb absorption so which is a bit of a controversial issue but uh, it can't be ignored and we have to incorporate that in some of the the solutions that we've got uh, going forward.
0: So can you say a bit more about absorption, Gary?
1: So at the moment, uh, what you've got around the world, you have, I mean, we know about carbon credits and how that works. But we've got a number of uh, options out there about what we do when we start talking about how we get this excess amount of carbon dioxide in in our atmosphere, you know, which is now, you know, nearly 40 parts per million more than it was 20 years ago. That's a bit scary. And we have to get that out of the atmosphere. And there are ways you're doing it, there are natural ways we can do it. You know, we can, we can put plant trees in the ground, we can leave the trees where they are currently and let them do it. We can talk about the seas and the oceans and how that does it. And we can talk about how we can uh, maybe use uh, peat bogs and uh, other uh, mangrove swamps, etc. And what we've done there, we, 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 We've got the best scientific data we can to calculate what the actual absorption is of, of each of those by hectare through, through age and, and, uh, to, and um, uh, uh, organic type, so kelps or oaks or whatever. But then there's the other aspect of this, which is um, how, how can technology help us reduce uh, the carbon in our atmosphere? Now, bearing in mind that the best way is not to put any carbon back out there because that would be the best thing we could do. Uh, But in the short term, that ain't going to happen and we have to be realistic. And so we've got the the likes of carbon capture and storage, which is is probably uh, the most um, advanced type of technology. But we've also got these mitigating activities like... Uh, wind and renewables and all that, which are, are sort of in the which are classed in the absorption page, but they're not really absorbed because they're preventative measures rather than anything. And the problem, you, the, the the challenge I would say the problem, but it's the challenge that society has is understanding what works and what non, not necessarily what they're told works. So planting a tree, uh, a, a tree like that's uh, six inches or what uh, 15 centimeters high. In the ground is not going to solve the problem straight away so maybe we have to look more at the technology model and what the options are there and I know there's you know there's um, there's some research going on in uh, Iceland at the moment there's a lot of the oil companies I think there's about uh, 80 carbon capture storage projects on around the world at the moment run by the oil companies because that's they get out of jail free card in some ways yeah. uh, so it So, the the whole process of how you measure that and how you decide well, what is the actual impact of of all these absorption techniques and and how do you measure it? And going back to the carbon credits, how do you stop the duplication of of companies going around the world to the carbon credit companies? So, you know, there's three in America, there's one in Thailand, there's one in France. How do you, you know, what's to stop? these companies getting credits from all these companies for the same bit of land that they planted trees in, or what's what's to stop a, a, scrup- uh, a scrupulous uh, farmer who says he's planting trees and then sells those credits on, you know, there, there's no sort of global um, standard, there's no global repository for understanding that. And I think uh, the world is really crying out for that now. The world needs to understand what does a hectare of carbon mean? but. Incidentally, Bill, you know, over the summer, you may have seen uh, hectares of forests, particularly fat pine forests, going up in flames. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of hectares a year that have gone up in flames across the world, from China to Iran, France, Portugal, Western United States, Australia, and that has to be measured as well because we've suddenly lost hundreds of 1000 hectares of absorption uh, capability in our system. And that's not being measured. That that is basically a a carbon positive in the terms of, there's more carbon going out because we can't absorb, instead of it being a carbon negative, which means we're actually absorbing because the trees are there. And Mm -hmm. that's not being measured. So you look at this sort of balance and you're saying, well, all of the claimed absorption techniques around the world, what impact are they really having when at at the stroke of a, a couple of months, you've got two two three hundred four hundred thousand hectares wiped out so was it worth it Mm -hmm. and and how do you prevent that so so it has to be some type of balance and you know an independent registry which is not there to to make a few bob out of uh or a quick book out of um you know someone's endeavors but to sit there and independently assess what's actually going on
0: so the the idea if i understand it correctly gary is that um you're linking absorption, which uh, the collective actually was very fortunate to have Professor Richard Templer uh, in August talking about the need for uh, absorption, not just preventing carbon going into the atmosphere in one form or another, but also to actually physically take it out of the atmosphere. Otherwise, we won't reach our, our desired targets. But yeah. we, if we look at that, you've got ob. Uh, absorption on the one hand and you've got carbon offsetting on the other Mm -hmm. and uh those are those are two interlinked topics Mm. how do you propose with your company to be able to give us um reassurance that the carbon offsets are genuine and that the absorption is taking place and and i recently read that easyjet who started with carbon offsets is now backtracking a bit. And, and so why is it that companies are becoming less confident about carbon offsetting as being a way to help the climate?
1: I mean, I really enjoyed Richard's um, interview with yourself, but I thought it was really informative and um, sort of very knowledgeable on the, the whole absorption agenda. And, and that message has to get out there more. But to answer your question more specifically, there isn't at the moment a a uh, a standard way of measuring offsets and what you have you have companies who offer the offsets and the credits they do their own standards and they i mean the, you know some of them are with the best of intentions but they're there to make money they're there to make you know they'll take 20% as an example of of an offset credit and and that's how they make their their, their business model but what is needed, and what we're trying to do, is say, okay, well, what is the standard for a hectare of land that is saying has twenty-year-old pine in it, and and what is the and based on its uh, its altitude and its uh, its latitude, how do we measure that and say, right, one hectare of pine in uh, the north of Scotland absorbs X carbon, right, vis-à-vis a hectare of land in uh of mangrove swamps on the coast of china how does that absorb carbon and how do we measure that and how do we put a figure to it that then everyone can adhere to and that stops this trade in um fantasy absorption figures because you, you hear everything from you know a hectare of land can absorb 10 uh 10 tons of carbon or it can it can absorb one ton of carbon, or you know they, they, there isn't a standard model. So so that so that's the first aspect of it. The other aspect is by using AI and machine learning. So using uh, satellite technologies to to and there are you know there are companies out there who do for their own purposes that will um, measure or photograph a, a piece of land that is uh, that's said to have trees in it, and then they'll register that as part of their register and offset it. As part of their own standards, uh, and and then the third aspect of it is doing like you know uh, on site verifications, particularly on the bigger projects, and understanding how that works, and you know verifying what people are saying they do and they are doing. Because ultimately, when you plant a tree, or if you plant a hundred trees, 20 percent of them are not going to survive. But the, but the credit is accounted for at the very beginning. Similarly, if you plant kelp forests or mangroves, there's also that you know the, there's the die off which is not accounted for. And then, the, the 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 third aspect of this is about getting research, more research into what it means, how much of the uh, of what we're saying is happening is actually happening. So research into oceans and uh, kelp forests and seaweeds and mangroves and trees. The the research is pretty thin on the ground at the moment, but there has to be a hell of a lot more of that to understand where we're at and what we're doing. And then when you look at EasyJet. You know, I remember when EasyJet first announced that about six, seven years ago, and I wrote to them and said, "You know, you really are having a laugh here. You know, you cannot tell me that if you're planting a, a twig in the ground that you're offsetting my flight to Benidorm." And uh, I didn't get any response. But every time I fly, which is less, more is less often than I used to, and I'm I, I hear about offsetting, I'm quick to tell the um, I'm quick to tell the uh, the head steward or whoever's in at the front of the, the plane to tell them that they're basically conning everybody, and that's what it is. It's a con. It's a great marketing tool because people believe it, but it's a con. And I think EasyJet are now seeing that that sort of cycle of pretending that your you know your flights carbon neutral is coming to an end, not because. Um, passengers generally are aware of it, but because the way people are flying is changing and also the way flight is changing. So if you think in, you know, in 2026, I think the first electric passenger flights will start. And there's a couple of companies in, uh, one in Bristol and one in uh, in uh, the US and, and they're developing passenger planes for um, 20 people. So, and if, so if you put that in the sort of technology of the, the uh the jet engine or the propeller engine what well, in terms of electric we're probably back to the 1920s 1930s in terms of the way the planes look people mm-hmm. but you know it won't take long before those you know another five years before the plane gets a bit bigger and you know and and the, the range is a bit longer and probably easy jet are probably focusing on that and the right to do that um because that's where the that's where the effort and energy should be spent. You know it doesn't help today's problem you know i don't think you're ever going to get a, a, an email from easyjet or ryanair or british airways or qatar airways to say please don't fly with us this year mm. because that's what we really need to do really to say stop flying stop flying and, and you know and think about what your actions are when you fly you know and i speak you know uh, a friend said to me for a couple of weeks ago you know they, they flew to um Uh, They flew to Paris and they said, well, it's okay because I offset it. I said, how did you do that? And they said, oh, well, planted a couple of trees, you know, and that's in the mindset because that's the guilt and it alleviates guilt.
0: So your your company, um, Gary, um, Happy Carbon World. Uh, world, Sorry, Carbon Happy World. (laughs) Your Your company is going to try and give people more data uh, through a register of these uh, carbon offsets so yeah. that we genuinely know that there are a limited number of carbon offsets mm. and they are owned by a specific company or individual so yeah. so that we don't get a proliferation of owners of one site. Yeah. So that's your ultimate aim in terms of this activity. Is that right? It's right, yeah. And, but also by giving a figure to it, yeah, you
1: know, and and that figure might change over time as the research gets better, mm-hmm. and as there's more involvement, you know, those figures will become more robust. But you have to start somewhere with it, and and getting the the register up and running now on our website, we've got uh, a carbon absorption calculator, and that's based on the best data we can find, and it's based on the age. But but that's just you know that, that that's out there. It's not. It's, it's probably the only one in the world, but at least it gives something to some people to go and have a look and see what's actually happening. Yep. You know, and you have to start somewhere. So we are talking to, to partners about helping us develop that because uh, it, it really is needed.
0: So let's move on and, and talk a little bit about other aspects of your company, Gary. So you have um, a, a carbon tracker, So Mm. you are able to give people information about either their personal or their company's Mm. uh, carbon footprint. Mm. Um, And that is becoming increasingly important for all of us to understand what that is. How Mm. does that exactly work uh, with Carbon Happy World? So,
1: currently, I think there are about 10 trackers out there uh, around the world. Most of them are in Europe. most of them uh, go around the spend model, so they'll they'll basically uh, ask a company how much they spend on electricity, how much they spend on fuel, how much they spend on food, uh, and and they model it so that the spend reflects a carbon footprint. Uh, the challenge with that is it doesn't give very accurate data. It's quite generic, but it but it gives a figure. Uh, what we've the path we've gone down is more of a product line, so that. It's the products that each of those companies use. So, you know the type of electricity they use. Do they use gas? Do they use uh, biochar? Do they use LPG? How uh, well, you know, how often do they fly? You know, do, do they go by bus? Do they use a car? Do they use shipments? And each of those has a measurement against it, so it's a lot more accurate. Mm-hmm. And getting your carbon footprint and you get like a, a, a measurement you know what you do with your waste you recycle it you reuse it you throw it into landfill um those type of things and, and all of those have a figure against them and it took us about it took us about a year to collect the figures so we have about twenty thousand data sets ranging from chemicals to tomatoes and pears so there's quite a lot of you the know, we haven't finished we're still collecting data uh, and the idea being is that you have a, a pretty accurate measurement of your footprint over a year. And that's measured in accordance with uh, the greenhouse gas protocols and we use PAC 2050 as our, as our guidelines because they, they dovetail quite nicely when you're trying to uh, get a sort of standardised measurement. I hasten to add that um, any company says that they're using their standard it, it's their own standard it's not a globally recognized standard because there isn't one out there yet but there are guidelines that you can use that will are leading to standards and i think in the next year or two you're going to see those standards become codified and that's really going to uh, sort the of weed from the chaff in terms of um of how things are measured how you report because the idea being is that you don't just have your measurement like it's great saying you know your X carb and then it's like well, what do we do with that and how do we move how do we move on from there so there has to be a sort of an advice consultancy type role that you can play in getting the companies to where they want to be uh and but also realizing that you no know, Rome wasn't built in the day you need to build these things up over a period of time behaviors have to change uh, you know uh, supply chains have to change you know the maybe the business model might have to change a bit you know to, 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 to get that growth that they want because companies don't want to stop growing or they want to stay you know they want to keep their market share but you have to reassure them that this isn't about them reducing their their business uh, in, in turnover. it's about them reducing their carbon footprint only and it, and it can add to savings etc uh, uh, but where we are going with it is um we're we're currently developing uh, the first phase of a more automated AI model whereby we can uh we can automatically take data from a site from an office and we can on, on its energy usage and we can identify each item of electrical equipment on that site and we can identify its efficiency its carbon footprint and uh, and it's its lifespan so you can see where the the, the peaks are in energy usage maybe because it's a uh, a generator which is overrunning, or there's electrical fault that you wouldn't be aware of and it's causing you to use a lot more energy so what you're doing is you're getting a saving of energy but you're also getting a saving of carbon as well and then trials in india with the with um with the company we we partnered with the the savings are around 10 to 15 percent on energy usage which which gives the which gives you know a number of things from a Business perspective, it gives you uh, real-time data. It gives you productivity gains. It gives you uh, there's less manual hours in terms of looking at the tracker because it's done automatically every 15-minute feed, and and also allows you to get a greater understanding of where you know the savings can be made within your business from you know, the type of machinery, computer, light you're using, etc. That's phase one. Phase two is to do something similar to travel next year. Mm-hmm. And those discussions about how that's going to be mapped out will start later on this year, but it's to make it easier for the client to understand, to, to have the data readily without having the the onerous, uh, the onerous part of it, which is inputting the data and finding it in the first place, because they tend to be all over all over a company's uh, portfolio and it you know, yeah. brings it all together quite neatly.
0: And this, this also presumably has uh, a great benefit for your clients because Uh, as you automate more and more of the uh, footprint tracker Mm. and data associated with it, Mm. they can start to focus much more on um, how do they change, uh, not just specific items of components of machinery or whatever. As you said earlier, the way people view things, their attitudes and their behaviours can change. And that in itself does take some time to achieve yeah, proper needs management's focus yeah um, do you see that your clients uh end up um going through that change process uh in a, in a way that uh, they can manage that themselves or do they need some sort of uh, guidance and help in order to make those changes
1: well it's sort of like uh the way i, the way I think about it it's sort of like uh Sort of bringing, uh, you know, nurturing somebody to come along with you, and then in the end, at the point, at the stage where they can get off and do it on themselves, because they've learnt all they need to know. And our role is to nurture, encourage, and define where they want to go. There's only so much we can tell them. We're there for them all the time. If if they've got, if they've got a question, something comes left field, we'll help them. But generally speaking, once they've got the knowledge, then they can carry on and do that. Whereas we would we'd be in the background supporting them. We're not saying, you know, we're going to do 10 years consultancy with the company because they'll learn that over a period of time. The tracker itself, you know, they will become familiar with the tracker. The, the data will be there. They'll be able to you know, analyze the data quite readily. The other things about instant reporting, of course, because coming down the track is a lot of uh, legislation which is going to start form, formalizing all this accountancy and carbon reporting. So when you've got the United, you've got the Security and Exchange Commission with their proposals next year. The EU have suddenly, uh, which was a bit of a surprise to the to the world in a way. But they've uh, they, they've introduced some really um, stringent uh, regulations for banks from the middle of next year on uh, on carbon reporting. Uh, other the UK has has got uh, anything, carbon reporting for companies with a thirty million pound turnover or two hundred fifty employees but they're, they're quite general and they're quite, uh, they're quite wide ranging at the moment and, but they're only going in one direction and it's going to become more and more like an accountancy report.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's going on and, and those, the companies are aware of it. Companies are talking about it, but they're not quite sure where they fit and what they have to do, etc. because there's a bit of confusion of it. And, uh, but the tracker sets are all out all the data you need is there.
0: So you're, organization uh, provides this service to be able to give uh, an effective carbon footprint analysis and to be able to then track it because Mm. you've got the AI components of your, your offering that uh, allow them to to have that more and more automated as you develop the the product. And at the same time you give them uh, if you like some uh, change management and leadership, uh, support and training so that they can make the effective changes that the data suggests they need to make in order to improve or reduce that carbon footprint. And finally, you're giving people the opportunity to see uh, in more quantitative terms how absorption of carbon out of the atmosphere uh, can actually be tracked and measured uh, in a more efficient way. Is, yes. is, that, is that what you would summarise your company's activities or have we missed something? You've summed up brilliantly,
1: Bill. And that's the beauty of the Sustainability Collective. You, you, you take it all in and you just throw it back at us. That's great.
0: <laughs> well, Gary, thank you very much indeed uh, for sharing your company with us today. I mean, it's truly a sustainable business. Um, we will be bringing you more podcasts featuring our members in the coming months. And next month, we have Mark Hammond talking to us. Uh, But thank you uh, for joining us today. Please visit our website, uh, www.worldsustainabilitycollective.com to follow our activities and learn more about our Purpose Planet podcast. Tune in again next month and uh, Mark Hammond uh, of Net Zero Group will be talking to us. Goodbye.